my dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day, my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure. I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. This is your moment, your time to shine, your comeback. You're ready for the next step in your career, and you want an education employer's respect. So you're not just going back to school. You're coming back with Purdue Global. Backed by Purdue University, one of the nation's most respected public universities, Purdue Global is built for people who bring their life experience into the online classroom. Purdue Global, Purdue's online university for working adults. Start your comeback today at purdueglobal.edu. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I can't help but look at this as a dramatic human failure. In the long term, I think we have to basically say how much we've failed and figure out how we're going to do better next time. And I think doing better next time, we could say, let's start uh, trusting each other and caring about each other. You know, it's, it's a real test of how much do we care about sacrificing of ourselves, not going out, not seeing our friends and so on for the good of other people. 2020 has pushed so many of us to the brink that collectively, it feels like this year cannot end soon enough. I report on politics, I report on business, I report on breaking news and culture. And over the last 10 months, it has been an extraordinary time for this country. One of the big issues though, when the clock strikes midnight and 2021 hits, our problems aren't over. We are in a national crisis. Look at how we've responded to COVID. In many ways, we have absolutely failed. So here we are with the new year ahead of us. I wanna ask the question, what can we do to be better, smarter, behave better as individuals, as communities, as governments, as businesses? On this episode of Modern Rules, we're looking at what motivates people in a crisis and what our response to COVID can teach us about our own human behavior. I'm Stephanie Rule, MSNBC anchor, NBC News senior correspondent, and this is Modern Rules, a podcast from NBC Think and iHeartRadio. Right now, we're in a situation where our behavior impacts our friends, our neighbors, our coworkers' health, their lives, their livelihoods. So how are we behaving? To dive into this topic, I'm joined by one of my absolute favorites. 
Dan Ariely, an expert on human behavior. He's a professor of psychology and behavioral economics at Duke University. So basically, Dan is an expert on why we do the things we do. Daniel, you have been on my mind for the last few weeks because you study human behavior and how we respond to COVID, whether we actually isolate, whether we contact trace, whether we wear a mask, that impacts whether this thing spreads. So when you look at the pandemic, what stands out the most to you about the way we've reacted as a society? I look at it and I think we have failed, and we've failed in so many ways. I mean, there are many, many reasons for the failure, and it's not just in the U.S., But if you think about the essence of pandemic, pandemic is what's called a social good problem. The problem is that we do things that are not just for ourselves in the short term, they're good for society in the long term. And COVID is like that. So if you're uh, in your early 20s, your chance of dying from COVID is very low. But now we tell you, please stay at home. Please keep social distancing. Please don't go out. Not because of you but because it's really bad for other people. Now you have to decide to care about other people. And what happened if we see some other people who are doing that? So we say, are we the only suckers? Like we are going to behave well and keep a social distance and wash our hands and not go out and do all of those things. When other people are, we feel that we're paying a price um, and, and nobody else is doing it. So then, then we don't do it as well. So one One big element of this thing is the lack of social cohesion. One big element of this is the lack of trust. And then, of course, the other is that it became political and it became a question of ideology of yes masks, no masks. People were told, do not travel over and over. And yet airlines saw their highest numbers in a year. We might see the same thing come Christmas. Why is it so hard for people to follow orders? So let's talk about corona as a low probability event. And let's, let's think about something else like texting and driving. So imagine that you think the probability of texting and driving and something bad happens is about 1%. So it's a low probability event and one day you text and drive. And nothing happened because the probability is very low. What is your experience of that? we get description of what's frightening and not frightening from the news, from the media, but our experience with texting and driving is that it's not that dangerous because every time we do it, nothing bad happens until it happens. And of course it's too late. The same thing is true with COVID, but the experience of low probability event is, is a, an experience that rewards bad behavior. Imagine that in the beginning, you're very afraid and you wear a mask, and you wash your hands 10 times a day, and you keep social distance, and one day you forget your mask, and nothing happened because it's a low probability event. We say, hey, it's not as dangerous. So what happened, the experience during COVID is nothing happened, nothing happened, nothing happened. It must be not that dangerous, or maybe I had it before, or maybe it's not as risky, or maybe I don't trust the news. Most of the time when we don't do what we're told, We get the wrong lesson. So the experience, if it was easier to catch COVID, if every time you didn't wear a mask, uh, wash your hands and uh, kept social distance, you would get COVID, people would learn very quickly. How much do the people around us influence our behavior, right? It seems like some towns and cities 
almost 100% mask compliant. And other cities, you've got rallies against it, people aren't wearing them, there's anger. How much does one's community influence how they respond to COVID? From a social perspective, we observe more the people who misbehave than the people who behave. Think about driving. Um, let's say you drive down the, some highway and five cars drive extra fast and pass you. Do you pay attention to all the cars at the speed limit? Not as much. You pay more attention to the cars who are breaking the law. And the same thing happens with COVID. We are more sensitive to the people who are breaking the rule. We pay more attention to them. We see them. They become more salient. And then finally, of course, when some of our political leaders or even some celebrities, people in high positions of visibility uh, don't adhere, uh, we, we see those as very vivid examples. We are dramatically influenced by the people around us, and we mostly notice the people who are mis misbehaving. But the second thing you mentioned before, unfair. And, you know, if, if I am contributing to the public good, and I'm saying, look, I'm sacrificing myself, I'm staying at home and so on, but I see other people are not doing it, why should I do that? One of the other things to consider is the loneliness and the economic impact. Well, it's those two things that have caused so many people not to comply with the rules. So are we looking at loneliness or economic impact in the wrong way? Imagine somebody who's closing their store or only doing delivery on something, and they see the person next to them opening uh, the restaurant, let's say, serving people inside. The other guy said, why am I sacrificing? Why am I sacrificing myself when like, these people would get sick in my neighbors? Uh, restaurant. So we also, we also need the sense that this is something that everybody is doing. And when some people are doing it and some people are not, the force is also very strong to stop adhering. And because we pay more attention to the people who misbehave, they become a bigger, a bigger issue because they're polluting the pool already. And that's a rational reason, right? Because you say, look, I, I am a drop in the bucket. It only makes sense to come together as a community if everybody's doing it. So, so what other people are doing in a pandemic is extra important because if we see other people misbehaving, we feel like suckers. But has it been a complete failure on the part of society? Because many, many people have dramatically changed their behavior, especially in the early months of COVID. For the most part, we shut down. So on some level, isn't that a massive success that we saw from the American people? So I think we, we started talking about safe behavior in the wrong way. We talked about it as saving yourself rather than about hurting other people, right? From the beginning, the message should have been a public good message, not a personal message. Because the moment it's personal, it's up to you. You say, let, let me decide what's my cost and benefit. But it wasn't about that. It was really about the public good and it was about other people catching it. It was about the hospital systems being overwhelmed. And, and we didn't emphasize those enough. So uh, f first of all, you know, one of the big lessons in social science and behavioral economics is that the environment matters. And here I have to say I'm very proud that my university at Duke, because we did lots of things from the beginning 
to change the environment. Uh, so for example, we created a new social contract and we said, this is not a regular life. Uh, we are a community and we are responsible for everybody. And the students are responsible for the faculty and the faculty are responsible for the students. And we've done very well. So the, the number of COVID cases was very low. I think we've been one of the, the, the leaders. But the, we invested, we, I mean, the university invested a lot of effort saying we're a community. We care about each other. So you made it about love, not punishment? We, we made it about love. In fact, uh, we had uh, um, students walking around, and if they saw people adhering to the rules, they said, thank you. Here's a voucher for coffee. We, we rewarded good behaviors. And some of the professors told me that their students told them, please be more careful. No, there, was, there was really a, a fantastic caring. I'm very, very proud of, of both the thought that went into all of this. Right? We, we're, as a university, you know, we know something about social science. And it's nice that, that we used what we know uh, to create a community. I actually think in, in, in some instances, there's been an extraordinary return of community. I mean, myself, when I got sick, you know, an outpouring of neighbors who I didn't even know very well were dropping those casserole dishes at my door for my kids. You know, my parents always knew their neighbors. They were their friends for years and years. But as time passed and we all find our own friends in our phones, we stop talking to our neighbors. Suddenly, our neighbors have become our lifelines. How about how this has impacted family? We are inherently a social animal. And if you think about uh, being so lonely for such a long time, uh, what are the long-term implications of this? I, I don't know what the answer is, but I think that if, if we had a chance, when you know, the closure started, I think we should have given families advice of what to do. All of a sudden, we were thrown into a very different environment. And what works and doesn't work in this environment is very, very different. And what we needed to do was to help people. I wish we had a panel of experts on romantic relationship, a panel of experts on education, a panel of experts on this. And we would have given people instructions uh, because, because it is a lot of time to, to manage. We'll be back after the break. My dad works in B2B marketing, but I never really knew what that meant. Then one day my dad came by my school for career day and told everyone in my class he was a big MQL man. Then he just kept saying things like, the more MQLs, the better, over and over. My friends still laugh at me to this day. I think it means marketing qualified lead. One thing's for sure, I'll be known as the MQL man's kid for the rest of my days. Why couldn't you just be a fireman or a lawyer? Why? You ruined my life, Dad. Not everyone gets B2B, but LinkedIn has the people who do. And with ads on LinkedIn, you'll be able to reach people based on job title, industry, likelihood to buy, and more. Start converting your B2B audience into high-quality leads today. We'll even give you $100 credit on your next ad campaign. Go to linkedin.com slash customer to claim your credit. That's linkedin.com slash customer. Terms and conditions apply. LinkedIn, the place to be, to be. Like many of us, you might think identity theft will never happen to you. But consider this. There's a new identity theft victim every three seconds in the U.S. That's over 15 million people by the end of this year 
equal to the populations of New York, Los Angeles, and Chicago combined. Even worse, identity theft victims often don't even know they're victims. That's why LifeLock Identity Theft Protection alerts you to identity threats, even the ones that don't show up on a credit report, like data breaches, fraudulent bank transactions, loan and credit card applications, and crimes committed in your name. If your identity is stolen, your own dedicated LifeLock U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. LifeLock protects you in ways that you simply can't on your own. Join now and save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com news. That's LifeLock.com news to save up to 25%. Identity theft protection starts here. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. I want to talk about this idea of freedom because we've heard so much about it through this pandemic, this idea of freedom. Back in the spring, we saw those protesters in Michigan holding liberate signs. Why is this idea of freedom so powerful to so many, uh, especially in the face of these COVID restrictions? Yeah, so there's a, there's a personality trait called reactance, where we just don't like somebody to restrict our freedom. And, you know, frankly, I don't like it uh, either, right? And freedom, all else being equal, is great. I, I'm, not, I'm not against it. But it is interesting, what are the limits of freedom? And it's kind of a bizarre to, to realize how domain-specific it is. So, for example, um, nobody is saying, I want freedom uh, to drive in red lights and park on uh, sidewalks. Why? Why is it that we're willing to accept severe restrictions of our freedom when it comes to driving. And the reason is obvious. It's because we see the terrible consequences on other people. Like we understand that if we have the right to drive in red light, it means people would die. And we kind of think that it's okay for people to make mistakes and kill themselves, but killing other people is not okay. And the moment we understand that people have what's called negative externalities to our actions, then we say, I'm not willing to accept freedom here. You can't hurt other people. But in general, people value freedom as long as it doesn't hurt other people. And what's so bizarre about Corona is that it is about other people. Then what do we do for the next hurdle before the next pandemic? You mentioned it, the vaccine. What kind of language, what kind of efforts are needed to actually motivate people to get the vaccine when it's available? knowing that there's a lot of fake news out there? So the first thing I think we need to do is we need to create a, a wait list for the vaccine. You know, basically, we talked about social. We talked about the fact that we want people to see what other people are doing. If we had a national wait list that you could sign up for and you would see how many millions of people want it, that would create a social understanding of how desirable it is. 
The second thing is that we need to schedule an appointment for everybody. You know, if you're kind of on the fence and slightly negative and you have a meeting for, you know, April 17th to go and get vaccinated and you have to say, no, I don't want it. I want to cancel. You know, that's a very different action. And then, you know, in terms of the, the people who are the most extreme negative, you know, this is not going to work by telling them they are stupid and it's not going to work by giving them more information. I think that the vaccine deniers, this is a, an issue, this is like single issue voters. People who, who are single issue voters, they basically say this issue is so important that it's like the only thing that matters. And that become part of their identity. And people who are against vaccine, it's about lack of trust and it's about fear. And, and I don't know what the answer is, but I know that for sure it's not about giving them more information. And for sure it's about giving them um, a ladder to climb down from uh, where they don't need to betray their core identity belief. So I don't have the solution yet, but we need to recognize that the obstacle is not lack of information. But when we come together, um, like, and, and you know, the reality is that we're so happy the vaccination is coming, but we could have made the damage so much lower. <laughs> I'm an optimist in, in nature, but I look at it and I say, I want us to fix things for the next pandemic. I, I want us to, 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 to learn the lesson and say, okay, we have to trust somebody. We have to show higher caring uh, for each other. We have to understand public good. I, I want us to have a kit for the next pandemic. It's going to come that we'll be more ready for it. How do you keep wealthy, connected, privileged people from not cheating, from not jumping ahead of the line to get this vaccine? When fairness breaks, then people say, let's break it in more ways. And I think what we need to do is we need to have a very clear hierarchy of what goes first, second, and third. Say, okay, healthcare workers, people over 65. We, we all have to kind of agree to that. And it needs to be transparent so we don't think that people are bypassing the queue. In fact, I think we should uh, make January 1st a Memorial Day to COVID, uh, not because COVID is over, but I think we have to acknowledge how we have failed as, as humanity in this. Thing. You know, it's, it's wonderful there's a vaccination, but the reality is that washing hands, wearing masks, keeping social distance, uh, we, we had that solution for a while, right? I think that first of all, um, we need to get to a new understanding of what COVID is all about. You know, there are people who believe it more and less and so on. And I think if we made a COVID Memorial Day or a regret day, I think we would come to a realization that it's real. It's real, it's central, it's big. It deserves its own day. So that's one reason, right? We, we galvanize and we agree to it. The second reason is that there's lots of consequences of this thing that we haven't recognized yet. And we need to think about a way to, to think about all of those. And then the last thing is I think we have to basically say sorry. If, if I hope that the next pandemic will deal with better, we need to basically become more articulate about where we have failed. And each of us has done some undesirable things during this time, right? Nobody is, is perfectly innocent. We all need to realize that we didn't do as much as possible for our community. I mean, I think if we gave it some time and thought about it, we would come with the conclusion that 
where we have gone wrong, and we can create an action plan for what we would do better next time. I do hope one day we have an official COVID Memorial Day. It has been almost a year since we first heard reports of this mysterious virus in Wuhan, China. And in the last year, COVID has dominated our lives and our minds for months. And fatigue, I get it, fatigue has set in for a lot of us. On Modern Rules, we like to get straight to the point, so you have some time to think. But after this episode, I really want to challenge you to think about how you're behaving and how it impacts other people. Dan reminded me that we still have a lot to think about, the loss, the failure, the future, and how we as individuals and communities could do things different next time. Think about it. I'm Stephanie Rule, and you're listening to Modern Rules, a podcast from NBC Think, MSNBC, and iHeartRadio. This podcast is hosted by me, Stephanie Rule. Mike Biet and Katrina Norvell are executive producers. Meredith Bennett-Smith is senior editor for NBC Think and our editorial lead. The podcast is engineered and edited by Josh Fisher. Additional production support provided by Charles Herman, Rachel Rosenbaum, and Lauren Wynn. And special thanks to Catherine Kim, our global head of digital news, right here at NBC News and MSNBC. For more thought-provoking analysis, visit NBCNews.com think. If a new house is on your wish list in the next five years, grow your savings faster and experience your dreams with an Ohio Homebuyer Plus account from Kemba Financial Credit Union, a savings account specifically designed to save for a new home where you can earn 7% APY, a $500 matching bonus, and a $1,500 mortgage closing cost credit. Learn more at Kemba.org. Offer expires March 31st, 2025. APY equals annual percentage yield. Restrictions apply. NMLS 292230. Equal housing lender. Federally insured by NCUA. Live Nation presents Concert Week. Now through May 14th, get $25 tickets to over 5,000 shows. That's up to 75% off a summer full of your favorite artists like 21 Savage, Alanis Morissette, Cage the Elephant, Celeste Barber, Dirk Bentley, Fade, Hootie and the Blowfish, Janet Jackson, Kids Bob Kids, Megan Trainor, Bissell Pluma, Sarah McLaughlin. Get tickets to more than 5,000 summer shows for just $25. Until now through May 14th. Visit LiveNation.com slash Concert Week to learn more and plan your summer with Sean Paul, Sum 41, 30 Seconds from Mars, oh, and Two Door Cinema Club. Are you still searching for your perfect place to call home? Well, now is the time to buy at Fisher Homes. If you're looking to move in before the end of 2024, May could be your last opportunity to start building your dream home and close before the year's end. If you're hoping to move in even sooner, Fisher Homes also has homes that are move-in ready and waiting for you, where you can start enjoying the benefits of homeownership even faster. Schedule your personal tour with a new home advisor today at fisherhomes.com and make this spring the season you find your perfect home sweet home.